Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Finch, and this is Behind the Movement, and my guest today is Louis West. We'll get to the conversation momentarily. First, I have a, just a few announcements. Um, I'm uh, doing a weekly infinite play class here in New York City in Brooklyn in Prospect Park. It's every Saturday. It's from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Um, it's donation-based. If you're anywhere nearby, I'd love to see you there. Um, you can go to my Instagram to get the exact location. You could also shoot me a message at theinfiniteplayguy at gmail.com or uh, just through Instagram if you need any more information. Um, coming up on October 23rd, I'm going to do just a two-hour pop-up class out in Long Island, New York, hosted by Locomotion New York. Um, they've hosted a number of my events, and they've always been amazing, so I'm really excited to head back out there. And then at the end of October, um, I'll be headed out to Europe, and I'll be doing a couple uh, events in Berlin on October 29th. I'll do a pop-up of my own in Berlin, and then on October 30th, I'll be co-facilitating uh, a class with Marlo Fiskin. Um, yeah, if you want more info on those, um, you can just go to my website, kylefincham.com, or you can just uh, email me. Also, I'm doing a, a weekly newsletter that goes out every Thursday. Uh, I call it the Moves Letter. If you would like to subscribe to that, you can go to my website, kylefincham.com, and there's a little subscribe uh, option, I think, on most of the pages. Um, but yeah, I just put some ideas, some wonderings, and then also some, some other updates and things in there. So feel free to subscribe. And finally, uh, I just recently brought on the first sponsor for Behind the Movement. Um, my very, very dear friend, Matt Stillman, has a company called Primal Derma, and he has offered uh, to sponsor the podcast. Um, Primal Derma is a general skincare product that is made from American grass-fed beef tallow. Though this might sound strange to most, this is an at least 17,000-year-old skincare tradition that has existed all over the planet. They are reclaiming this ancient practice for modern skin. If you are interested in a getting some more information on Primal Derma or ordering some for yourself, you can go to primalderma.com slash behind the movement. These are my announcements, quick and dirty. Uh, let's get to this conversation with Louis. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, we played a little bit of, a, um, I don't want to say phone tag, um, we just tried to, we had to, we had a lot of hurdles to get over to finally make this happen. There's, you know, massive time zone differences as he is, uh, I think he's 14 hours ahead of me. And then I had COVID, um, some, you know, there were some ailments in his household. Um, then finally, no one was sick. Everybody got the proper amount of sleep and we were able to, to, to dial in on the, <laughs> Uh, a time that worked for both of us. So I'm so happy it happened, and I can't thank Louie enough. If you're not familiar with Louie's work, 
Uh, he is a doer of many things. He is most known for doing spinny, shiny, flippy things on the floor where he has pioneered a new form of hard floor circus tumbling. In 2013, he won a gold medal in what his mum calls the Circus Olympics or the Festival Mondial du Cirque de Demain in Paris for an aerial straps piece. Louis is recognized as one of the foremost contemporary circus artists in the world and has been working professionally in multiple aspects of the circus and performing industry for over 15 years. He has worked as an acrobat, choreographer, director, trainer, and tour manager both nationally and internationally with the Australian companies Circa and Gravity and Other Myths before co-founding co a new circus company in Tasmania called Rook. He is now trying to retire from performing and concentrate on passing on his physical knowledge both online and in person while being the best dad he can be to his new daughter. The things he most enjoys doing now all involve other people, forming human towers and throwing bodies around a stage, manipulating and diving through hoops, parenting and trying to choke out fools using Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Unfortunately, as he is a blue belt, he is usually the fool being choked. Let's not waste any more time. This is my conversation with Louis West. I was thinking before we got on, um, someone was asking me, they're like, oh, who are you talking to tonight? And I said, I'm talking to Louis West. And they were like, oh man, I've seen like some of his videos. That guy's amazing. And I was like, yeah, you know, it turns out we were actually at movement camp together in Thailand. Ah, cool. 2016 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the only time you went? Yeah, it's the only time I went. Yeah, it was good. I had a good time there. It was, um, yeah, pretty pretty weird experience, but very fun. Yeah. Had what, you been what, to a few or is that your first? That was my first, but I ended up doing three more. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what brought you out to that or what drew you into it? Um, I'd kind of been following Edo for a long time and actually weirdly... Uh, connection went back further than I thought because once I saw him getting famous and just because I was interested in what he was saying and doing I went back through some of my old I just sparked a memory and I was like wait a second I think I've talked to this guy and I went back through my old messages from YouTube like the, the YouTube messaging service and I had a message from this guy who's like hi my name's Ido Portal I'm really interested in movement you do cool stuff can you talk me through exactly what your training looks like every day um, and then we had a little bit of like back and forth about I was just like I was a dumb 19 year old I think I was just like yeah sure like I don't know anything like I'm not a very scientific trainer I just like training and I like moving and I like working with people and so I pick things up but then it was yeah, it was funny that he was kind of trying to make some method from the madness and then didn't hear anything for a while and then suddenly popped up and he was just you know doing his thing and being being pretty incredible yeah Wow. What, what, I mean, you said like you were like, had like a more like intuitive way of kind of approaching it. Yeah. That's intuitive. Plus just learning from whoever's around that I can learn from. So when I was at the circus school, which is when he talked to me, I was like, well, there are a bunch of great coaches around and I had access to a whole lot of space. So, you know, mm. I say intuitive, but I was also guided by, by people who knew more than I. Right. Right. But it wasn't like some sort of like self-employed structure not really i was just like hey i really like learning stuff i'm gonna learn to spin on my head when can i do that now all right i'm doing it yeah yeah i always think of that as like uh i don't know 
it's something I always like wish to see more of because I always feel like that's the thing that I stand and like watch at the skate park. Like when I watch people skateboarding, it's kind of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, like some, the- there's definitely something to be said for that discovery and that kind of just like, I, I think it helps develop your own style, which I'm really into. But mm-hmm. of course, like when you find a good teacher, there's nothing that can compare to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's so interesting. It's like, you want to like be in that place where like you learn how you learn and learn your like tinkering process. And at the same time, like have somebody who's kind of like shining the light in certain directions for you. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I, I actually found a lot of my biggest leaps in both kind of skill and style would be, I would have a short time with a teacher or a coach and I'd try really hard, but maybe not quite get it. But then after I'd stopped teaching with them and that I was on my own tinkering with stuff and just trying again and trying to remember what they taught me. That's often when I'd have my breakthrough. So I was like, I, I got the knowledge and got shown how it worked and then took it and it kind of distilled itself through my brain and body. And then like, maybe I'd remember certain bits or make up certain bits that felt better for me. And then suddenly things would just click. And I, I realized that happened a few different times. It yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think I read in your bio you, you're doing you're doing jujitsu as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bring it up because the thing you're talking about makes me think about. So I train here in New York at the Marcelo Garcia Academy. Oh, amazing! And Marcelo recently left, but he was training here forever up until you know just a few months ago. And I remember I got to talk to um, one of the teachers, and I had him on the podcast, and he was talking about Marcelo and the way that he came came up in jujitsu because he wasn't at a big school or anything he was kind of like off in like a smaller part of brazil and he would get like short clips and some still photos of certain positions and movements and things and then on his own he would like reverse engineer from there how to get to those places those types of things and like not to say that that's how everybody should practice but that that kind of thing of having to go through your own process of some kind Yes, I think that's important. Piece. Yeah, I think that's important to, to, to tweak it. You don't want to just be, yeah, you need to, that's what part of what makes it fun for me, at least, is that kind of self-exploration and, and discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that something you, I mean, do you, have, you, have you looked at different ways of kind of like um, making that available to people you teach? I just, at the moment, I tend to just encourage it and I, I try to give some structured tasks and, you know, individual skill lessons, but I, I just always make sure they know that this is the way I do it. You can do it slightly differently. The things I'm going to try and pick out are the things that are related to efficiency and safety. And I, I'm going to try not to give you a note to change something unless I can also give you a reason. If it just looks different to the way I different, the, the way I do it, that's good. And I actually, I like that. And sometimes I'd be like, it's different from the way I do it in this way, but actually that's fine. Like you can keep doing that. I just want you to know that it's different, but, but I try, so I just try and encourage it when I see it. If someone's got a, a background in skating or break dancing, I, I always say, or wushu, one of my guys has a wushu background, bring that in, bring all that history in and all that, that knowledge in and, and then add this to it and then mix it up and see what comes out. Cause yeah, it's, it just makes it more interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Because like, 
I don't know. I think some people, and I, and I th- sometimes I think it's like self-instilled. I don't think it's actually even a teacher, but there's this self-instilled thing that like, you're almost supposed to like kind of erase everything you did up until that time and <laughs> yeah. then like start there and it be like, um, I, I don't know, a quasi mimicking or mirroring of the teacher. Well, I guess the, the reason people go to a teacher is because they see what they do and they're like, I want to do that. So it's like, well, I'm going to try and copy that. But, but then it's knowing what is, what is it? What is the thing you're trying to get? Is it the style? Is it the skills? Is it, you know, is it a fitness regime? You know, whatever. So you, they're coming to you for different reasons. Yeah. So when you're, you're teaching, you mentioned like uh, that some of the stuff you kind of are like, oh, well, these are like important qualities. Like you use the word efficiency. Like are, are there some like, is there a language that you have or, or ideas around that idea when you, when you present it to people that, that you can share? I think I try and be quite, uh, so, so the way I came about teaching was I did, as we talked about earlier, I did a lot of self-exploration, learning from a bunch of different places. And I was a bit of a natural at, at a lot of it. A lot of it came a bit easier, not to say there wasn't hard work. But because I came to teaching later, um, I went through a, a year and a half, two years of really trying to reverse engineer what I thought was cool about the stuff that I'd been doing. Mm-hmm. And so when I did that, uh, it, it was really interesting for me to kind of look, oh, why did I do that? Oh, why is my hand there? That's a strange position. Oh, that uses an interesting set of muscles. And so in that reverse engineering process, it was really trying to pick out those key things of like for efficiency, why is my hand there? Oh, my hand's there because now it's closer to my foot, which means it's easier to push myself up onto my center of gravity. If my hand and foot are far away, it's really hard. These are lessons that just came from a lot of practice, but then trying to find both really specific examples like, um, in in a what I call a thorax roll, I have my hand close to my foot. Or no, that's probably that's a general principle. Hand close to foot means easier to push up onto your center of gravity. Um, and then also more specific examples within the tricks themselves. So trying to find those things in the in the process of like yeah, reverse engineering was was really cool. Mm. not sure if that quite answers your question but <laughs> that's the tangent I went on yeah 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 no it, it uh it totally does because I, I I also love that like the that I don't know like the the it's like the reverse engineering brought you to the concepts it's not this mm-hmm. that they were handed down and that it was like um just a regurg- regurgitating of them yeah yeah it was really because each time you, you know it's like a scientific principle each time you have a theory and you test it and then you're like oh actually wasn't what i thought or oh that that does really fit does that apply to all these other movements as well okay and then from there you might also distill from kind of a wide range of movements trying to work out what the fundamental what i then decided were the fundamental beginning blocks mm-hmm. was really interesting um and then now that movement is getting bigger and bigger and there are more and more movement coaches and more and more soft acrobatics instagram channels and people kind of selling their stuff and I, I i don't i try not to look at it too much but i notice you know a lot of the time i notice okay a lot of other people have found the same movements or very similar movements as their beginning starting points of things you need to know and 
yeah, that that's cool. Mm-hmm. It's cool that you have the different variations and the different names and the different kind of ways they go, but they they come back to a similar spot. Mm, yeah. What are, what are some of the other fundamentals? In terms of concepts, the mm-hmm. two of the first ones that I always look at, uh, I really like the idea of acclimatizing to the floor. Um, so what I mean by that is in a lot of different, well, traditional tumbling, because I came, I came from a tumbling background, the things that contact the floor the most are your hands, the palms of your hands and your feet and your back in a fairly linear way. Um, but with the stuff I'm doing now, I really want to be able to use every single part of my body. And if there's any part of my body from my ear to my little finger, I want to be comfortable having that contact and know that that can lead me into a variety of different movements. So that the term I come back to is you want to use the whole Buffalo. You don't want to just use the meat and throw away the carcass. You want to be, you want to, you want to acclimatize your forearms, the backs of your hands, the backs of your legs, you know, that your hamstring down to your calf, your heels, mm-hmm. all of this stuff that isn't traditionally used in tumbling, but more so in dance, you want to start getting used to it touching the floor. Mm. But you can't just jump straight into skills that use those things with dynamic movement. You've got to start just being comfortable with it touching the floor. So, so part of my process is acclimatizing to the floor. Here are a bunch of exercises where you just start to have pressure and and contact through those things and you start to build up basic and they're kind of warm-up patterns and they're kind of sometimes flexibility and they're sometimes kind of strength but they're not really any of those specifically they're more about just contact with the floor and then being conscious of that feeling and how that works before you then take it into skills sequences next Mm. level it's not exactly the same, but a friend of mine introduced me to the Gracie 32 principles. I think it's a BJJ fanatics video. Mm. And one of them is like points of contact, right? Mm. And Ooh, like yeah, yeah. And exploring all the different points of contact on our body and, and recognizing that each point can predict movement, it can initiate movement and it can stop movement. Um, cool. not exactly the same, but it's like, it's, a, it's that thing of like, I don't know, looking it's bigger awareness, than awesome. right? It's like, you don't know those options exist until you start thinking about it. It's like, you don't pay attention to what you might only think about your forearm when you're slapping a mosquito on it, but it can do a lot more than that. If you, if you're aware that you're touching it and then that can take weight. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you kind of came to on your own. Like you, you just spent time realizing that like, God, I want to have more access to like my, my body in relationship to the floor. Yeah. And that was part of what my, I think my style, how my style stood out was that I, I could do explosive dynamic movements from my shins and I could push off my elbows. And then that, you know, you, I, what I love is options. I love having options. I love having possibilities. And so, you know, and the other thing I love about tumbling this kind of floor movement is it's just your body and the floor. So it's very simple in terms of like, there's not a whole lot of different elements. You're not using a prop. You're not using, you know, something else, another, even another person, you're not even using another person. It's just your body, which is different to everyone else's body and the floor. And then there are variables within that in terms of the clothing you wear and where your body is at and how it differs from people, but it's very simple. So with 
simplicity, interrogating and exploring that is that's kind of the creative thing that I really enjoy rather than trying to work with too much glitz and glam. I had an old circus coach who said, you know, the fancier the prop, the less substance in the performer. And I, I kind of, I like that a little bit. It's like, if you're really good at what you do, you can just have your body in the floor or your body in a Chinese pole or your body in a rope. Like the simplest apparatus are the ones that I think bring out the most creativity and interesting movement for me. Yeah. Well, there's also something in like some of the people I realize I've gotten across paths with like yourself who are, I don't know, call it moving at a certain level is there's like this like kind of rich exploratory process that, is, you know, as you almost, as you said, is like the foundation, it kind of comes before the techniques even. Mm. Um, like I got to take a workshop with uh, Linky Larson. Do you know him? Link Linnell no. is like a street dancer from Paris. In some ways, it's not so dissimilar from what you're saying, because it's in some ways, like the best he can do is like expose you to his process. Like he's such an artist. Yeah. Like it's like he moves like an alien. It's so like avant-garde, like street dance. And then, you know, you take your class and he's just having you kind of roll your head on the ground and feel all the ways that you can like get comfortable with your head on the ground and then like balancing on one foot and like reaching and falling. And then when you fall, like falling into something somewhere, you know? Yeah, and cool. These types of things, it's, um, yeah, I think sometimes like Instagram doesn't always do a great job of capturing like the, the exploratory things. Yeah, and the feeling, the feeling that you get because that's what's cool about it is you're, di you're discovering what your body could do and you're experiencing it. It's like, that's very simple and a bit twee, but it's, it's cool. Mm -hmm. And were you, uh, you were like performing professionally for a long time, yeah? Yeah, 12 years and I still, still kind of am. Like I thought I was semi-retiring from circus and performing, but in this month I've got four different shows and like a whole bunch of different circus skills and working with a whole bunch of different people. So, um, which I, I love it. It, you know, it's what I've done for a long time and it, I feel really comfortable and relaxed there. Um, it, it's my world. It's my water. Mm. Um, but it's yeah. Yeah. So yes, I did. I do it for a long time. Uh -huh. What was kind of like the catalyst to like switching from performing to like primarily teaching? Uh, so just lifestyle. I, I wanted a family and I wanted a bit more of a base and I wanted to, you know, have that. And it's not that compatible with touring. Some people do it um, and they, some people do it really well, but it looks hard and it's not the way I wanted to. I kind of wanted to go like my focus has been, me and performing and now my focus is going to be a family and I really want to have a solid base for that um, and then naturally it's kind of like okay well if I'm one spot I can't do performing to the level I was doing before but I still have all this knowledge and and I'd done a lot of teaching or not a lot I'd done a little bit of teaching leading up to it enough to know that it was something I was interested in then over COVID that's when I had my big like um, deep dive into picking apart my own style and my own thoughts. And that took a, yeah, that was bigger than I was expecting. Um, and then, you know, you'd start teaching that stuff. And I told my first students, I'm like, look, you guys are guinea pigs. I, I, <laughs> I think I know what I'm doing. I really want to keep you safe and I want to give you knowledge, but um, some of the stuff that there'll be gaps, there'll be extra information. And, and, you know, it's a constant process of refinement and change. 
with the material that I have to try and find the best way to teach it. Are people having a similar mistake? Great. That's on me. If, if, if three people have, a, have the same kind of mistake in a movement I teach, it's because I haven't explained it well. And then I go back and try and find better lead up drills and all that stuff. So COVID was really good in terms of like bought a house, settled down, had a baby and, and started making that switch from performer to, to teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, first, congratulations on the baby. Thanks. It's the best. Yeah. He's so awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm curious because, you know, it's interesting because I've talked to a number of people who are dancers and acrobats and things. And, and you know, some of them were for a, a good period of time really only like working with other people who are professional dancers or performers or acrobats or aspiring to be. And with like the emergence of movement in the way that it is, it's like suddenly there are probably way more people who are interested who are just hobbyists. Yeah. And even then, and then, you know, COVID on top of that, all of a sudden it's like everybody was online and being like, where are the things what's happening? So, yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, what's like, uh, yeah, what has it been like kind of like adjusting or not adjusting even to like people who are not coming from some sort of performance background or, or something? I love it, actually. I think it's really cool. And that's when I started teaching, I wanted, when I started thinking about it, I really wanted to make something that was accessible in terms of that. I didn't want people to to know how to invert already and cartwheel already to be able to start moving because you you don't, we all move every day. So Mm -hmm. in in a very basic term, the stuff I do is like moving from sitting to standing to lying down and then it just gets more fancy. So I really wanted to make that more accessible and, and, and find things that were going to be safe and not too intimidating because it can be scary to, um, to, to jump into this world. So my base was like, okay, a lot of people in the whole world do yoga. I want to be able to go like, if you have, if you feel comfortable going to a yoga class and trying that, I would like to have a level of the stuff I'm teaching that is aimed at that kind of world because of what I've done before this. And because I had kind of a short bout of YouTube fame most of the people who came to me, particularly at first, uh, were like, oh, I've been, I watched your videos 14 years ago and they were amazing and I saw you were teaching and I really want to learn that. I've been doing circus and acrobatics for a bit. And, and so the people who came to me naturally were, were a lot more talented or had done a lot more work. Um, and so I was like, oh, whoa, I was preparing to teach kind of beginners and now actually it's more, more advanced. And that gets a bit more difficult even online because I'm in Tasmania, far away from everyone. Mm-hmm. That stuff can get dangerous. So there was a lot of kind of tailoring stuff to where people were at and what space they had access to. So I, yeah, ended up with quite a broad range of skills that people are trying to learn, um, which is good because it keeps me on my toes and keeps me like moving around in you know in terms of unpacking all the different skills um, which is which is great but not quite what I expected yeah yeah so you're only teaching online at the moment uh no so I teach um at a youth circus in Tasmania so I teach kids 12 uh mostly 12 to 18 
mm-hmm. um, who are interested in circus, uh, and then do a bunch of other little bits around teach at a dance school, and then this week going to Melbourne Juggling Convention and the National Circus Festival and doing some short workshops there. Mm-hmm. So not teaching adults. Oh, and I have been teaching online for the for NICA for the circus school just a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a fairly broad mix, which is good. Like you see how the dancers move and what strengths they have and what are they are interested in. And then you change it for the jugglers who want to have hands free to be able to manipulate things more but still move. And then you change it for the for the acrobats and you change it for the people who are trying to make partner work. So again, it's yeah taking what I know and trying to adapt it to make it as useful as possible for what people are seeking. Yeah. I, I admire the, uh, the desire for accessibility because I think that's a really hard thing to navigate. Mm. Cause like sometimes like, uh, the things that are like kind of the really the bare bones, as you said, kind of like getting up and down and out of a chair, like laying down on the ground and getting up and it, you know, it's not the stuff that gets all the likes on Instagram. Yeah. You know, and- and it's weird, as you said just before, talking about um, a lot of professional dancers and acrobats work with professional or aspiring dancers and acrobats. And there was a big learning period for me of like, I didn't know just how much I took for granted mm-hmm. that the people around me could do. Like there's a certain degree of strength and flexibility or mobility and just awareness that that I just thought that everyone had. And it was a bit of a shock to go like, oh, it's really not. And some of these things that I think of as, I, that to me, I'd lived with them for so long, I didn't even think about them as being a problem or being a, an issue or being a thing to think about. And suddenly I'm like, oh, okay, that's really, that's a, that's a big step for someone. And it was, it, you know, it made me realise how lucky and privileged I was to, to move in those circles and and have a body that was capable to do those things without even thinking about it yeah i mean it makes me think um this is something i think i've probably repeated like tons of times at this point but it's so worth saying it's like because you were talking about kind of like foundations and and basics and things like that and when i was in milan i took jujitsu classes with this dude who was saying that like you know the real foundation of jujitsu is sensitivity right Mm -hmm. and like when you are moving and when you're especially when you're like working with people or when you're working moving objects or or you know it's it's complex in certain ways like you find yourself increasing your sensitivity and don't even realize it's happening and not realizing that most people are not maybe having that same experience especially if they really exist in like the sedentary world Mm, i like that a lot but yeah that's really i think that's really true that's a nice way to look at it yeah you can't change something if you're not aware of it like yeah, so just just building up that awareness, I think. Yeah, I'm probably going to steal and adapt that. Thanks. Steal the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe it. I mean, it's like you know, people always talk about like the you know the similarities between dancing and fighting. And I think it's always like the things you can see. It's like stances and movements and positions and things like that, footwork, whatever. But I, in some ways, I think about the sensitivity stuff more. You know, mm-hmm. like that's like the communication aspect. Well, yeah, because sensitivity goes from, you know, physical sensitivity to being able to read the person and whether that's, as you said, in, in combat, reading them so you can shut them down or 
reading them so you can assist them or reading your training partner to see if they're uncomfortable for a certain reason. And just, you know, there's, there's a whole, that's a huge world to, to get into. But if you're increasing all of those things a little bit, it's yeah, a great sense of awareness to develop. Right. And it's like, to me, it's like the, it's the, the tool of like full body listening. Yeah. Right? And the, I don't know. I always, I, I feel like I say it constantly, but it's like all the, the skills and things don't matter if you lack the capacity to listen. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's the same as like having a really, really great story. Like one of your best stories ever that you could tell, but if you lack the capacity to listen, like you're probably not going to tell it at the right time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or try yeah. to tell it all the time. Definitely met people like that. Uh, that's cool. And, and it's not it like full body listening. It's like full sense use because it, it even with acrobatics or whatever, you know, you're using your hearing to see how heavy was that or you're trying to, what sound did my training partner just make? Did, was that pain or was that effort? Like what, what do I see? What do I, well, probably smell and taste not quite so much in a, in a movement sense, but mm-hmm. in, this, in this kind of world, but maybe. Yeah, I mean, listen, I remember like um, when I first started jujitsu and like being on the bottom and trying to like sweep somebody and they were maybe like a purple or a brown belt. And he was like, I know when you're going to try to sweep me. And I was like, why? How do you know? And he's like, I can, I can feel your breath change. <laughs> you know, like I'm about, I'm yeah. like puffing up to get ready to go. But that's... <laughs> But that's that thing, you know, like that's that, you know, and you can't always like talk about it, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, it's just reading a situation and feeling a situation and people and then it, but then it's in your own body as well. You know, like I was leading a group for a workshop I was doing and just bringing people aware of their like heartbeat. And like, I don't know, right now I could say like, bring your awareness to your heartbeat. And I don't know, like to me, I can immediately like hear and feel my heart, mm. but when we did it at one point, um, we were doing a little like sharing and pe- someone was like, I could not tune in enough to like sense my heart beating, you know? And I'm like, wow, like what a different experience we're all having of like yeah. where we have the potential to like listen at. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Thanks for that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. totally. Um, so do you think that you'll, I mean, I know you said you weren't into touring anymore as like a professional performer, but like, you know, now that the world is kind of changing to something other than like what it was for the last two years or so, like, would you consider like going and like touring, like teaching movement broadly? Yeah, that's, that's on the radar. It's something I've thought about. I've done a little bit of it um, in Australia and in Europe just a tiny bit. And I, that is the kind of touring that I think would probably be, probably be more, uh, cause I want short, you know, like being away from home for two weeks is possible, but I wouldn't want to do heaps more than that. So like, yeah, duck off to Melbourne, duck off to Sydney. Um, you know, I've got a few contacts in the major cities around Australia. Uh, so that would definitely be interesting. Uh, and, and I think really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, yeah, yeah. But not definitely not big, not big stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's a whole different lifestyle it is yeah and that's kind of what what I'm trying to you know but that's finding the balance at the moment is like I want to be in a great dad and I want to be 
here and present and fun um, and, you know, all that stuff. And so how do I, how does the other stuff look around that? Yeah. So with the, like all these changes, you know, like the not performing and the like kind of investing more into like what your kind of ideas and your, maybe your constellation of like practicing looks like, like what, what is your kind of individual practice look like now? Um, I've always thought of myself as an opportunist and I, I think that's still true now in terms of whatever is available, I want to do and learn. Whoever is there to teach or learn from, I want to I make the most of it. Um, and so because of where I am, those opportunities are a little bit less, but we've also started a circus company here, Me, because my partner Mika is also an amazing circus performer mm-hmm. um, and she's still got a foot in the game as well. You know, we're balancing that. Um, so it's a little bit of circus, a little bit of jujitsu, a little bit of dance, a little bit of like, you know, just whatever. If there's, if there's something that comes to Tasmania that's in this world, I'll, you know, jump on it because it's just, it's good. And it's, it's opening up different opportunities away from circus, which is what I'm really enjoying. I feel like I'm pretty happy and content where I am in the circus world and I've done what I wanted to do. So now it's just doing it a bit more for fun even and just because I love it mm-hmm. so what do you what do you like feel drawn to like the most outside of circus is things like dance or is it things like martial arts yeah jujitsu at the moment I, I like to kind of focus on one thing as much as I can um because I otherwise if you just touch on everything then you'll you know it's harder to learn and get those develop those habits so jujitsu is probably the the biggest one um, but then I just love the movement games. Like, you know, my friend came around here and we have in Australia, I think it's kind of an Australian thing. Do you have totem tennis or is that? No. Uh, so it's a stick in the ground at the top of the stick is a string and attached to that string is a tennis ball. And then you have a bat and you just hit the thing and it spins around the pole. And then someone else has a, has a racket and they hit it and it spins back around the pole. Uh-huh. So it's a kid's game that you just like you can take to a barbecue and put in the ground but the other day my friend came out here and we just started kicking the ball around instead of hitting it and it was just that you know that was fun we just talked for 30 minutes the whole time just working out how to kick this ball to each other um so 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 things like that practical things i'm really getting into practical things like splitting wood um Mm and using a chainsaw these things that are terrifying in a different way and um so just yeah i just kind of whatever life throws at me i'm pretty happy to to try and learn a bit about yeah nice yeah i've been like uh really having this itch to to learn like bushcraft yeah you know i watch i watch this show alone that i love and i don't know what you're do you watch it? Me, me and me group just been going through a few seasons. Yeah. Really? Did you watch the most recent one? The, no, the most recent one we looked at, we watched was the hundred days. Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. Oh yeah. That guy, and he like, he took down the musk ox with a knife. Oh man. It was, yeah, yeah it was good. Mm-hmm. But talk about sensitivity. I mean, that's that thing. Like there it is. It's like, you see those people like after a few days where they just kind of settle in. And like, they're just, I don't know, they're like hearing on a different level. Uh, it's so, it, that's such an interesting show because 
it's so easy to sit in your comfortable home and think I'd do that differently. What's that person doing? But it just made me so aware. Like I'd go for a bushwalk and I'd start getting a bit hungry and a bit tired and, or, you know, you're doing a, a mundane task hungry. You're like, this is harder. And then I think back to alone and I'm like, wow, that is a whole different level of discomfort and self discovery. You don't, I have no idea who I am in that situation. Yeah. I think, I think when watching that is also where I started thinking about the most really how like the way we kind of move, like do movement nowadays, Mm. it's kind of, is, it's kind of a privileged way of moving because like, you know, energy is not hard to get your hands on for a lot of us here. Right. So we have this privilege to go and like, you know, whatever, kick a ball for like 30 minutes and do that. Whereas like when you watch alone, they're like, dude, I would never do that. They're like, <laughs> I need to like only expend the amount of calories that are going to get me to like the next thing. Except they do a little bit. They still make musical instruments. Like sometimes they, they spend, it's like, well, you're spending a lot of time on making a chair or, and I think it is, but it's worth it. Like in those small comforts and those small things are what keep you being human. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. 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 Certain kind of like ritualizing things they do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's that. Yeah. As you were saying, if you're, if your energy is so, so in high demand, then of course you've got to be efficient with your movement. And that's like, you know, maybe that's where my appreciation for it comes from is like efficiency, you know, less energy expenditure, or that there's a certain beauty and a certain way that something looks if it's efficient to me. Like that's what I'm drawn to in a whole bunch of different mediums. You look at someone and you're like, Ooh, you've done that a lot. Like you've, you've removed all of the wastage from that movement. So you can, you can just do it over and over again. And it's, it's so refined. I love that. Mm, right. Super efficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, how that transforms to the body. That's another thing that I, I think about is that like, I want function over form. Like I want my body to be able to do all these things and then it will start to look a certain way. And that's a byproduct. Mm-hmm. And like the, for me, the exercise is always a byproduct of what you're actually doing, which is either having fun because a lot of movement is fun or your skill developing or your, you know, you're, you're doing something and the, the, those side products of mobility and strength come, you know, separate to that almost. Right. They're not like the main dish. Yeah, they're not the main dish. The main dish. dish is actually doing life in some way. Yeah. 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 It's interesting too, when you talk about like function over form, I took this, this short workshop with this... Um, parkour athlete and artist, this guy, Amos Rendow. I don't know if you know who he is, but no. he has this program that he calls the art of falling. And it was so beautiful and in a really fascinating way. It was like so many of the movements were movements that I had been exposed through with certain aesthetics and certain forms to go with it. And he was kind of like, no, 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 no. Like none of that matters. It's like, we want, we want those movements, but like to, to, to catch us when we fall or to be like the comma when we fall. Yeah. Yeah. What was his name? 
Amos, A-M-O-S, Rendau, and I think it's R-E-N-D-A-U. And I, I know he's involved with um, World Chase Tag. I don't know if you've ever watched any World Chase Tag. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I want to say he's one of the founders, but I'm not certain. Awesome. I've written that down so I can check that out later. Yeah. But again, it's the same thing. It's like the function because you watch him do these movements and it's like, I realized I was like, oh, it wasn't inefficient. Some of the things I was doing, but like when I was focused on a certain kind of form, it, it wasn't the most efficient. Yeah. So it's like, how do you do it in the, like the most kind of like rhythmical, like present way? Yeah. Awesome. I love that. that yeah. That's, that's right up my alley. The kind of you strip the layers of artifice and of, of like in circus, we call it fluff, you know, all the things around the skill, you mm -hmm. strip it of all of that. And what do you have? Like, that's, that's what I'm drawn to. Yeah. Oh, well then, do, I mean, this guy's like totally up your alley then, or at least yeah. that, that thing, you know? And I guess in World Chase Tag, that's what it is. It's like, we don't need the fluff. Yeah. Like, we need to be efficient. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What, what have you found in your experience, like going from circus where something is like very collaborative, right? Especially when you're working with people to like being in jujitsu where it's combative. Yeah. I think that's what drew me to it really mm -hmm. is that it's the flip side of the coin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So much of like all of circus, if you're trying to be a good partner it's it's how do i balance how do i assist how do i help how do i make you feel safe how do i all of that stuff and then you take all of that and you go to jujitsu and some of it is there like i still want my training partners to feel safe for sure but every how do i off balance you how do i disrupt you how do i surprise you how do i like and, and as i talked about earlier about loving options i i want those options as well and i want to be able to take my knowledge of um, movement and help and then be able to like switch it on or switch it off but man it's hard after doing circus for so long I, I, I can't take down someone and dump them into the mat like I always want to put them down mm -hmm. softly and, I, and, and I'm so used to being lifted that if someone kind of shifts my weight up I'm like wee this is fun wait oh shit I've lost my base like there's a whole lot of unpicking to do but I, but I really like that and like a lot of physical communities the people who do it have been awesome, like super fun, super friendly. There has to be that same degree of absolute trust mm -hmm. for both circus and jujitsu. You cannot do the activity if there's not that trust. It's so inherent that it becomes a bit taken for granted um, until it's not there. So I really love looking at the similarities, the things that exist in both those worlds, but then, yeah, trying to, trying to move from supporting to, off, offsetting unbalancing it's super fun yeah i mean that's I and mean, it's such a huge juxtaposition um but it, i mean this like not i mean people who are very competitive with jujitsu which i'm I, i'm really not a fan of like competitiveness in in most cases um but even people who are competitive like jujitsu at its highest level is actually very cooperative right like it's not always creating resistance it's actually cooperating with what's happening and with cooperating with that happening with that other person mm. right so yeah. it's like both... with ulterior motives sometimes yeah exactly so it's like you know while while you know partnering in circus or in dance is collaborative and while jujitsu 
is combative, like both have this like cooperative quality when it's at the highest level. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, most people would almost think like when someone like is like semi-retiring from like, you know, their hard physical life that they wouldn't go and like fight people. But like the beauty of jujitsu is that like, I mean, if depending on who you also get to train with is like, it can be something you can do for, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And it's, um, it's so real. I think that's what I, I was thinking about this the other day when I was driving, what I love about it is sometimes you learn skills in circus and they're not really you can have a hypothesis that's not really tested and it's like, Oh yeah, I can do this skill. But you know, at a high level you do, cause it's like, do I trust myself to do this skill in a show with 2000 people watching me? You know, like there, there's that degree of risk, but in jujitsu, you learn a movement and you test it immediately. You're like, all right, can I actually do this thing? And you know, 90% of the time, because I'm only, I've just gone to blue. Yes. Nice. Um, like, thank you. 90% of the time it's like I'm gonna try and do this thing and it's like nope the real world says no like you haven't mastered that technique yet you haven't um learned the right you haven't listened when is the right time to use it um so so you you're testing like really testing um how well do you know something which mm-hmm. which is great you don't always get that with with physicality how has like uh, being in like a, the combat the combative world like impacted like some of like your 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 circus arts? Um, it's it's pretty funny. There there is a very high degree of similarity in a lot of ways. So we started when I was working with Gravity and Other Myths, who was the last big Australian company I was working for. A bunch of you know Australian awesome Australian crew. A lot of us would would wrestle as warm up, and man acrobats are so hard to wrestle you, you go and do some jujitsu and you're like oh, i have a bit more knowledge but all acrobats are strong and mobile and have this amazing sense of awareness that it's like it's a really good testing ground for those concepts again like to, to see how well you know something mm-hmm. um so i don't think it hasn't yet affected performance or you know i haven't i haven't really incorporated them the the circus and the jujitsu and i've thought about whether that's something i want to do and i think probably not i'm i'm pretty happy them being separate worlds but taking you know take the lessons you learn from each one mm-hmm. um yeah so but but definitely as a warm up as a warm up and as like a fun bonding exercise teaching the other acrobats jujitsu is awesome that's amazing yeah i mean they're so explosive too you yes yeah i mean i sure. met I, at here where i trained jujitsu is where i met tom wexler like i didn't yep. know who tom was and we were just suddenly like partnered up in a class and immediately i was like <laughs> like what do you do yeah <laughs> like i can feel it i don't know it's just like it wasn't feeling his like his body it was like it was feeling like the way he moved you know it's this yeah i like find it, it interesting acrobat. how so, so many people I know who are amazing movers are drawn to jujitsu. And I think it's that thing of, of like 
skill testing. It's it's so similar to the floor movement stuff, but it's mm-hmm. it's it feels the next degree of real sometimes. It's also like profoundly intimate. Yes, you know, <laughs> and 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 so physical, right? Yeah. And I think that sometimes like maybe now and maybe not so much from your experience, but like in like the movement world, it's like, it can be It becomes so isolating that people are like, no, no, no. But like, there's so many ways to relate. Like I can relate to myself. I can relate to another person and I can relate to environments and sometimes all of them all at once. And jujitsu is just kind of like the, the, the most of like being with somebody. It's so funny. That thing of like, yeah, how, how intimate you get and how normal it gets. Because because of circus, I was so used to like, oh, I've, I've had heaps of different men sweat all over me. Like, so so going to jujitsu jiu-jitsu is not that different. But man, if you come in with no physical background like that, no intimate background like that, it's, it can be very confronting. And we, me and Mika taught at a school um, th- this last week. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to one of the teachers and he was saying that that kind of physical touch is really, it seems like it's getting more removed from what kids are being taught, partly because there's such a, it's so, Mika said it really well, I thought, which was, she said, it's just so much easier to say no. Hey, no touching, because you're probably messing around. But that means, you know, they, they don't touch. And that's such, that's one of the joys of being human is that, is touching and, and reading each other and and learning how other bodies work and, and physical connection. So. You know, whether it's partner dancing or circus or the, the club I do jujitsu at has a wrestling program in the schools as well. Mm-hmm. I think, man, that feels really important, actually, when the teacher was kind of saying kids get to year nine and they don't know how to partner dance or, you know, even, or even just touch someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so I teach these like play workshops that I call infinite play and I um, I. Oh, I started putting in a lot more like call it roughhousing, but I always jokingly call it play jitsu. Nice. And it's just like, it's like cooperative roughhousing. Yeah. And like nothing like tickles the group more and like exudes like more like collective joy than those games. Yeah. You know, like everything is fun, everything is exciting, but like, man, like people like smile and hug and high five and like all the things in a way that you've never seen, like laugh their faces off, you know, like just various forms of like, just little like rough housing games that are kind of derived from like grappling that are non-competitive. And it's just like, it really doesn't. And I think you're right. I think it has something to do with like, there's a bit of a lot of like the removal of touch and yeah. like, we, 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 we feed on it. Like it matters, you know, every mammal does these things like plays in this way where it's this kind of dancing, playing, fighting thing. That's always changing. Right. You watch dogs and sometimes it's like they're playing and then they're dancing. And then all of a sudden they're like grabbing each other's necks. And then like, it's, it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All mixes. But it's, and it's, it's, I feel like it's a, that's a lifetime. That, that's a thing that affects you over your whole life. Like I was talking to my granddad a few years ago who's who was I think at that point he was near 100 and he mm-hmm. said no one touches me anymore I just found that so sad like and so, and so there was just that thing that's why people sometimes go and buy massages or just you know an excuse to touch someone else because it's so how alone would you feel if you never 
we're touched. It's yeah. That's a little thing that's to normalize that and, and work out how to make it work in society, I think is actually really important. Yeah. Is that something you kind of integrate in with like kids when you work with them? Like, do you do any like things that allows them to put their hands on each other? Yeah. Circus is all about that. And there's an awesome person in Tassie called Aidy Delaney who does, who, who teaches circus, but her other job is teaching consent and sexual education in schools. Oh, wow. And I found that to be a really interesting crossover because so much of circus and physical contact and everything, it needs consent. And that's a great, I love circus because it's so many lessons for life that you can extrapolate teamwork, you know, uh, skill development, you know, self-belief, trust, learning how to be the, the joy of being trusted and mm. trusting someone else. Like that is actually really, that's an amazing feeling, but, but consent is always there at the heart as well, because it's like, you have to, sometimes you have to expressly say it, but, but then there's, um, you know, there always has to be consent for people to work together in, in circus and then in life as well for physical touch because it can be abused really easily, which is sad. Um, so, so knowing how to, to give and get that consent is really important. So, yeah, we do, we do a lot of that both implied and explicit with our kids. Whenever you're touching someone, um, you know, you've got to be aware of that stuff. Yeah. How, I mean, how do you like approach that? Like what's some of like the language you guys use? um kind of it's it's pretty simple a lot of the time it's just like hey do you want to do this can I can I grab you here like I'm about to put my hand on your shoulder to spot you is that okay Mm -hmm. um and knowing that particularly for trainers you're in a position of power and authority and so you can't just you you can ask the question and sometimes the kid will say yes but you can see in their eyes they're like oh I'm a bit uncomfortable so again you're learning to read that and you can either talk to them and explain more and and explain why you're doing it or you can say hey don't worry we'll find another way to to make you feel safe um Mm -hmm. to do the these skills so it's circus has safe risk you know that's one of the things that's great about it is you're you're taking real risk you're you're doing dangerous potentially dangerous things but you've got these building blocks in place to to make it safe so you get to test yourself without you know having horrible consequences if you go wrong so we talk about um you know that and and being okay to fail is the other thing we've found is really hard for kids um man there's so much judgment right yeah i feel like it's like it's like one of the pressure oh it's like it to me it's like one of the great limitations right is like judgment that we like feel from others that we place on ourselves because i think like when we when we feel judged from wherever is when we stop taking risks. And like, yeah. sometimes when I say like, I'll, I'll, I'll might teach and I'd be like, Oh, like take a risk. And people like sometimes misunderstand and think that take a risk means do something dangerous. I'm like, I don't mean yeah. do something dangerous. I mean, surprise yourself. Yeah. Right. And like, it just matters because that's, that's where learning happens. Learning happens yeah. at surprise. Yeah. Yeah. At the edge. Uh, and and that that being okay to fail and you having to you know more than that you have to fail you have to be okay with failing and not see it as a embarrassing or a shameful thing is being one of the hardest lessons to teach the kids just try and and I remember feeling that when I was starting to get good and then I was like oh hold on when I go to these public sessions I'm only doing skills that I know I can do 
that means I'm not actually learning. Like I'm not trying the things where I could fail. And I remember very consciously going, all right, I have to be able to mess up in front of people because that gives me the opportunity. And once you kind of accept that and, and kind of switch your focus and go, oh, it's not a, it's not a be really down moment. It's a laugh moment. Like it's a funny thing, laughing with people, not at people, laughing at yourself, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Suddenly you can improve more and you can, you know, I, I, I think it's so important to encourage a, a culture where it's okay and to, mm-hmm. to make mistakes and it's not going to be held against you. It's going to be, yeah. Again, that's why I think like watching skateboarders is so amazing because I feel like the fail rate is so high. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's so widely supported. And like, you sit there and you watch people at a skate park and it's like falling, falling. And it's also just such an abrupt fall most of the time. Yes, You know, it's yeah. always a big fall, but it's just like everybody over and over. And it's so just like, like failures deeply ingrained in that culture in a way that I just like, I, ad- I admire it. You know? Yeah, and almost celebrated, I feel, in skating. Like, it's almost like, well, that was a, you know, that was a big stack, but you came out of that really well. I mean, I don't know skating intimately, so maybe that's not true, but that's the impression I get from the outside is that it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how, so how do you communicate that to, like, the kids? Uh, trying to get them to have little little failures you know, little, very safe failures and just trying to make the the degree of ramp up really shallow, really, really slow. Um, and then I, I've also, I've been thinking about this lately, like I think needing to demonstrate failing a bit more because we're coaches and our de- degree of skill is high. When we demonstrate something, we, we're demonstrating it with perfect technique. But I actually think it's really, I mean, I was just thinking about this a while ago, like how do we fail in front of the kids and show that it's okay? And, and, you know, like demonstrate it and inhabit it, not just tell them because if you just told something, Hey, it's okay to fail. Now watch me do this perfect front salt. It's like, well, that's not really teaching them. So, so we just, you know, whenever we do our performance exercises or whenever we do shows, because in a show, nothing's going to go perfect 100% of the time. So just like that's a really great lesson to go. Do you hear the, how much the audience is clapping? You know, that one little thing that you're so focused on that went wrong? Go and talk to anyone in the audience. They won't have noticed it. Like that, that pressure is coming from in you. And that pressure can be beneficial because it makes you want to do better. But there's a limit where if it goes past that, it starts to be negative and will stop you and stop you enjoying it. So just talking about it, just trying to, whenever we see um, examples in the classroom or in shows, just kind of, you know, taking those out and unpacking them a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's, it's really this, this, this really tough thing, this, the, the, the right and wrong and the judgment stuff. I think, yeah, it's just like, it, it stops yeah it stops the risk taking and i yeah it didn't even occur to me how challenging it can be now to like be like navigating that space with kids because i see that moment you see it when a child suddenly like develops self-consciousness yeah and embarrassment yeah and judgment and it's a real culture thing because if one if someone has a really strong down energy about failure it makes everyone else way less um you know, receptive or way less um, willing to fail. 
Whereas if you can make it so that, that everyone is okay with it, everyone's on the same page, you know, like everything, you need that kind of group community support to, for those important things. So just trying to make it part of the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess it's just also like so different. I realize, I don't know how, how old you are, but like these kids now are like coming into it. Like and a lot of them probably have access to like Instagram and these things where it's like the, the praise for success is so high now. Like the stakes are high on success. Yeah. Higher yeah. than like, you know, when, when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid too, it was just like. I'm so glad they didn't have Instagram or Snapchat when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm so, so glad because I, yeah, I'm sure I would have been sucked into that world a bit more. And now I feel almost allergic to it. Like I, I really dislike spruiking myself on social media. Like I, I hate I hate a lot of that fakeness. Sometimes you see people who use it really well and it feels genuine, but yeah, it's, I find it really hard and you'd see the effect it has on the kids. And, and some of the kids actually, you'll see, you'll talk to the parents and some kids have more restricted access or, or maybe no access. Mm. They're generally the ones who are a bit more well-adjusted. Like that's, mm. yeah. And I don't know if that's causation or correlation or, or what, but it, but there is, I do notice that a little bit. Wow. So you, but in, in, in your case, you like, you, you stay away from social media for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Like not entirely, but, but I try, yeah. Try to be pretty conscious not to let it mm -hmm. take, take too much out of my day. I've got like um app limiters and stuff to just remind me to, Hey, stop now. And, and yeah. they, they work well. Yeah. So how do people end up uh, like finding you for your online coaching? yeah it's pretty it's actually pretty hard i haven't made it easy um <laughs> because i tend to only post on instagram when i'm like oh, i could do with a few more students oh, i should probably put something up um i'm really not active um on it at the moment uh and and sometimes i think that's bad but most of the time i'm very happy with that because I've, I've seen how much time it takes to do that um through some of my friends to like if you want to be a presence on on social media takes a lot of time and thought and effort um which i don't i just don't want to put that in so things like this talk, you know talking to people um mm. and and i want it to be really small i've only got five students at the moment and that's really nice i think i'd go up to about 10 but i don't want this to be a, an empire i want it to be small so talking to people word of mouth i've got a website every now and then i'll put something up on instagram or whatever and and, and i'm just letting it kind of evolve naturally and organically and i'm not pushing it too hard because i've got a lot of other stuff going on so this is a really nice section that i'm really enjoying but it's it's not my whole whole bag gotcha nice well then if people want to connect with you like is it is it best to just go to your website then or like you know you yeah yeah louiswest.com or i'm louiswest on instagram or my my videos from 14 years ago are still up on youtube all that stuff yeah i'm still around um yeah just reach out Beautiful. And then potentially touring the world at some point. <laughs> I'm probably not the world, probably more Australia, but yes, I will. I will still, I will leave my beautiful slice of um, Tasmania a few times a year. I think. Uh -huh. I, I have a, a, a dream of like heading in your direction at some point and then like the not too, too distant future and doing workshops. Do it. Yeah. 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 Host workshops, come play. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I'll like go to your workshop. If you come here, I'll go to your workshop for sure. 
dude, well, now, listen, now we're committed to something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, amazing, man. I'm so happy that we got to do this. I'm happy that like, despite like all the, the uh, different ailments and, and, you know, times and I double checked today a few times to be like, all right, do I have the time zones right for this? Cause like we're doing a huge gap here. Yeah. 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 So I'm happy. Uh, it's great, it's great. It worked out. It didn't feel like it was going to happen because of all those things, but it, yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. Awesome, man. I appreciate your time. All right. Cheers. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>